Welcome to Inevitable Wealth from Liberty One Wealth Advisors, a conversation around financial decision-making and events around the globe. In the age of instant information, level heads can be hard to find. Our hosts, Julian D. Leonardo and Jackie Petit Home, provide objective and relevant insights to help you parse the data and block out the noise as you build your wealth. As managing partners of Liberty One Wealth Advisors, Julian and Jackie look to empower you to develop an increased understanding of financial markets and how they impact you. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Very excited, Julie and I. We're rolling out something new for you. We decided to start this podcast, uh, Inevitable Wealth, uh, as a way to communicate with our families that we serve more effectively, as well as the businesses we serve. Um, You know, it's it's really just important to us to discuss timely topics, right? Some things uh, take a little bit more time to explain than maybe an email. Uh, so we hope you enjoy what we're going to talk about today. Of course, the most common topic, right, uh, that's dominating the news is, right, is SVB, the, I'm air quoting, if you're listening, financial crisis, because I'm going to talk about the verbiage that keeps being used. But Julian, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm excited to be doing this. I think, uh, you know, we want to make sure we're doing the best job possible. And it's just a new, new avenue to, to add some value. Wonderful. So let's let's just let's just get into it, right? Because we want to make sure that this is time effective as well, and we have some good points here. So let's talk about the banking industry, SVB, Signature Bank. What what happened, Julian? It's a convoluted picture, right, on the surface. But I think depending on who you tune into, everyone is blaming somebody else, right? If you turn on the TV, some are saying Biden is asleep at the wheel. Others are blaming Trump for repealing Dodd-Frank. The Federal Open Market Committee, they're saying, is moving too fast. Right. It really depends on on which angle you take. Uh, Silicon Valley as a community. Right. Is is being blamed. Right. They're they're, I think, easy to blame for a lot of people. (laughs) Uh, But at its core, we see it as a classic case of, of a bank's management being inept. Right. Uh, I don't know if the risk management team has been calling in sick or what, but they were effectively asleep at the wheel uh, for this whole thing. Uh, So if you're less familiar, right, I'll give a brief rundown. But essentially, when you put a thousand dollars into the bank, they lend it out. Right. They give it to somebody for a mortgage or something along those lines. Right. So they do borrow short term. Right. Because it's your checking account and lend it long term. Now, in most cases, that's perfectly fine, right? Because they have adequate risk controls. They are enormous in size. Uh, The bonds or lending that they do is very safe and secure. But in this case, Silicon Valley Bank uh, essentially locked up too much long term, right? At a time when rates were rising at the fastest in history. Uh, So it's a time where when they went to sell the bonds, because rates were now near 5%, and their bonds were only paying 1% because they bought them last year or, or you know, wrote mortgages last year, whatever it may be, their bonds are worth less. Because if I'm going to buy a bond for, for a family we work with, I'm not going to buy the 1% bond unless the price is lower, right? And, and that, that is offset. 
So it's very similar to what we say to the families and companies we work with. If you need the money in the next couple of years, don't invest it in something that is 10 to 20 years out. You know, everything long-term is long-term and everything short-term is short-term. These bonds, they were safe from default risk. A lot of them were treasuries, but that difference in maturity has a huge impact. Uh, what, what would you add to that? I mean, that's a good point too, because I think one thing that SVB did, which was wrong, which is something that a lot of, we see a lot of folks in the financial planning space do is there, there are two things you have to look at your risk, right? Your time horizon and also the risk of the investments. So their investments of that cash was not the problem is that they weren't paying attention to the time horizon. And time horizon is a very big, I guess, you know, player in when you're making these decisions. Um, and it's just, you know, when I read this and I was like, wow, these guys for sure were sleeping at their wheels. Uh, I think your dad said it to us once, right? You, you don't know who's sleeping naked until the tide comes in oh, or God. swimming naked. Right. So that's exactly what happened. Like yeah. these guys were just way, they just weren't doing the right things. They weren't on top of it. And, you know, the, the, the winds changed against them. And now that's, that's, that's their problem. And, and they're suffering for it and causing a little bit of a panic in, in the regional banking system as well. Um, and a lot of folks are scared because of that. And, you know, one thing I want to highlight to folks is between 2010 and 2020, the, FD, the FDIC took over uh, about 370 some odd banks, right? So bank failures do happen. It's, it's not common. But the reason why SVB is getting this type of noise is one, I think the Silicon Valley Bank is just, I think the press loves that, right? That the name, it just- Yeah, absolutely. Right, it's it's synonymous with risk and venture capital, right? But bank failures happen a lot, and so SVB was the largest bank failure since uh, Washington Mutual back in the 0809 crash. But what bothers me is the overuse of the term financial crisis, right? Like we talk to our clients all the time about headline risk, and that's one of the greatest dangers. You read something in the paper, we panic because the news wants us to panic and we make decisions that might not be in our best interest. So just plain and simple, Julian, in, in your opinion, what you've been reading, are we in a bank cri banking crisis? No, no, absolutely not. I, I think you look at things and, and you mention it. So much of it is that headline risk. Uh, and when you, when you turn on the TV at the beginning of the day, they're not going to tell you it's great out. You know, everything's great go outside, enjoy the day. They want you to keep watching, right? And, and their product is ads, right? So that you keep watching, uh, panic keeps people watching. Um, when you look at this, so much of it is about Silicon Valley and you know a lot of the, the hate for that uh, and not necessarily comparing them to, to everyday folks, even though a lot of them can be. Uh, but when you look at it, you just want to make sure that you are focused on long term and separating yourself, knowing that, you know, most people don't have money at Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, they are the 17th largest bank. So there are a lot ahead of them. Uh, and there's a lot of opportunity in a volatile market like now. Uh, so it can be a great opportunity for a lot of people. That's, that's a good point. Can we talk a little bit as well about how... I think one thing that's, you know, 2008, there was a technology there, but 
you know, when we talk about runs on the bank, right, back in, you know, the Great Depression, it was literal, right? A run on the bank. Literally, people were physically running to the bank. But today, with technology and Twitter, social media, right, news travels, it's, it's immediate. So the, this run on the bank, right, you know, can you kind of frame how I think if because of the technology today, the, the, the issue with SVB was perhaps even exponentially worse or it happened even quicker because of the times of today? Absolutely. And I, I was just speaking about this to my wife, actually, uh, because, you know, we walked through, you know, a little educational piece, you know, at home. Um, but <laughs> it's so interesting because this in 2003, you know, you look back in 1990, all these other times, this would have been very uh, challenging, right, to, to happen so quickly. It frankly just wouldn't because you were restricted to the speed of the teller in a lot of ways, right, where whoever's at the window at the bank is dictating the speed at which money is coming out, right? So you read stories about past bank runs where they were instructing the teller to count every dollar that they were giving out, right? Three times instead of one, right? To try and slow that down uh, so that the bank management and you know Federal Reserve or FDIC, whoever's involved, can you know try and stop the bleeding and and slow it down because when you slow it down it's it's a self-inflicting wound so if you slow it down it stops right uh and now nowadays you go online you can move millions of dollars at the click of a button right it's, so it's exponentially faster uh and especially a huge oversight right which is easy to it's easy to play monday morning quarterback right huge oversight but this bank operated in a very niche market right, of tech savvy, social media oriented individuals, right? Uh, so one, not only do they have the ability to move money quickly, but they know how to do it. And they're all talking about it, right? They you go on Twitter. Uh, and that that's where they are talking, you know, move your money, move your money, all caps, right, panic. Uh, and that just adds fuel to the fire. And it just causes problems in the long run. And if you have that niche market, you have to know, it's the same as, as with every, you know, individual and family we work with. Everyone's unique. Everyone's different. You need to make sure you are preparing for all situations, knowing knowing where you're at now, knowing your foundational piece. Uh, so it's, it's a little bit outrageous that it happened, uh, considering that their full-time job is risk management. Uh, but that, that's what happens, you know, moral, moral challenges and people make decisions that maybe they shouldn't have made. And, and that's, that's a good point uh, with, with, you know, Twitter and social media definitely amplifying the problem. Um, and of course, there was a problem, right? Uh, but I think you're correct. It just, it made everyone zero in and, and created a little bit of uh, a stampede, right, on the banks. So another thing that I've been reading a lot about and I think should be cleared up, right, um, was that the bailout. Right. I see folks writing about it, people on social media saying, oh, another bailout for the big banks and all these things. And I want to clear that up uh, because, you know, education is powerful. Um, and Julian, you know, was was this a bailout? Right. Was the signature bank and SVB, uh, is that considered a bailout? Not in, in my mind. I think you look at it and and you can talk a little bit about the insurance piece, but so much of what they are protecting 
right, is individuals checking accounts, right, and companies payroll accounts. Uh, and it shouldn't be on individuals to have to review a bank's balance sheet, <clears throat> right? Their, their legal liabilities, their assets, uh, their derivatives on the books, which are so complex a lot of times, uh, apparently, right, the banks don't even understand it. Um, and it shouldn't be on them to review all these and say, is my money at risk, right? Uh, it's a checking account. They're not taking uh, risk, right? They go deposit their paycheck, right? It's very straightforward. Uh, what would you What would you add to that? Yeah, and and I would say, and I agree, it shouldn't be at the individuals. You know, my mom, uh, my mom called me, you know, concerned about the bank. She and she banks at a regional, you know, top five bank, and she was concerned as well. And I think the the panic that was created, I think, for the everyday folks who are just trying to live their lives, uh, I, is a little bit unfair. Um, because when we look at how the FDIC works, right? So FDIC stands for Federal Deposit Insurance Corp, right? The key word is insurance. Mm -hmm. And how it works is they make these banks, right? They assess these banks and they pay premiums into this insurance fund, which ultimately serves as a purpose to ensure that these banks can guarantee that, you know, that $250,000 number that everyone's very familiar with. So at the end of the day, you know, folks need to understand that it's not a bailout. It's really the system that was put in place after the crash that's actually doing its job. These banks, they're not perfect, right? We mentioned 370 failed in the last, you know, 10, 20, 2010 to 2020. So it does happen. But this insurance is there that is supported by other banks to make sure that they can make sure those deposits are insured, right? Before the FDIC mm -hmm. was put in place, there were a lot, a lot of money lost in bank deposits and banks failed. But ever since it, it was implemented, not a single consumer has lost a penny within if they were within the FDIC insurance rate. So um it, it's not a bailout, really. It's basically a function of, you know, the, the federal government kind of doing something well. You know, a lot, mm -hmm. a lot of folks out there don't have confidence in how the government handles things. But this this was a good example of them implementing measures from 0809 to make sure that people are made whole uh, because mm -hmm. of the risk taken on by, you know, bank management, essentially. Exactly. And it, it can just be a very divisive society at points, right, where uh, Republican, Democrat or, or whatever you may be. Right. But I was reading it would only cost 0.1 percent to fully insure all deposits. So someone can fact me, check me on that. Right. It could be 10 times as much. But the bottom line is in your checking account, you're getting near zero interest. Right. Essentially at, at all banks. Right. All brick and mortar banks. Right. Near zero. Uh, meanwhile, they're lending out at four, five, six percent. So even it costs a full percentage point, two full percentage points uh, with where rates are, they could absolutely insure all of that if, if they needed to, uh, based on, you know, the research we've been reading. So what do you think happens next? So what what would next steps look like for the market or for, you know, individual looking to invest or, or what are your thoughts? So I would. I would say twofold. So for individuals looking to invest, uh, I, 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 I took this from uh, someone I, I, I follow, but uh, the, these events are 
are something that a long-term investor should ignore, right? <laughs> There's just another piece of news for long-term investors to ignore. And it doesn't necessarily mean, hey, ignore us going to banks and don't pay attention. But at the end of the day, when we're looking at the long-term time horizon, 5, 10, 20 years, uh, these are those just short-term events that really shouldn't change or dictate your long-term strategy, right? As Discipline investors, we're always looking long term, right? Because if there's anything short term, your money shouldn't be invested. Um, but on the other side, with the markets in general, uh, you know, yesterday, Jerome Powell quote that some uh, additional policy firming uh, may be appropriate, which some viewed as a signal to uh, to think that, okay, there might be a pause after the rate hike. Some speculated that they might see a rate cut in 2023. Um, but we have to think and, and think back in time, you know, back in December of 2021, majority of the Fed members said that there were predicting three height, rate hikes in 2022 uh, to target around 1%. And instead, we ended up around 4, 4% in the quarter um, in December 22. So I, I would like folks to remember that a lot of the things that they might say, it's, it's a target, but if they change course that's going to happen right we there's they have the dot plot of what their target interest rates are um and sometimes it just doesn't come out to what uh, the fed targets so <laughs> exactly and if, and if you see the the posturing that that we see jackie where uh jerome powell or you know whoever is brainerd whoever's speaking right in an engagement or after rates are increased uh they have to choose their words so so carefully uh, because investors across the U.S., across the world, are trying to interpret every single nuance, their cadence, right, yeah. their word choice, uh, to try and figure out what's next. So you see so much more volatility immediately after these things, or immediately yeah. when someone's speaking, because they're trying to trying to see the future. Uh, meanwhile, like you mentioned, in, in 2021, they themselves on the Federal Open Market Committee only predicted something like three rate hikes. Right. And then there ended up being 17 at 25 basis points each or seven at, you know, different var yeah. varying limits, but just going up so much more than, than they expected. So it's important when you're looking at investing. Yes, we, we can't control the Fed. Uh, they don't necessarily know exactly what 2024 is going to look like from a rate hikes perspective. Uh, but following these these volatile markets are great markets. Right. These are great times to buy great times to find value uh, and continue to invest for for the long term. Uh, and if you're at a point where you're pulling from your accounts, right, you're retired, you know, block out the noise. This will pass. It happens every couple of years where there's a drawdown similar to this. It's very, very routine, uh, even though when you turn on the news, it doesn't always feel that way. We're in a very transparent society, right? It used to be yeah. a little bit different, but now yeah. everything travels so quickly. And that's why the Fed has to work over the weekend to, to fix these things because <laughs> exactly. it takes about an hour for it to hit, you know, Reuters, and then it's and then it's they got to fix it before it, the panic sets in even more. Yeah, and and you know, two people before it close out because we want to be mindful of time, but two people that I wouldn't want to be in this situation. One is for sure Jerome Powell. You know, I remember I, I read an article, uh, maybe it was over the summer of Jerome Powell that there were folks analyzing how he was standing, analyzing how, how thick <laughs> the stack of papers he was holding mm -hmm. to speculate the size of the interest rate hike, right? Um, or <laughs> um, 
which is interesting or or bad funny, but uh, one of the the insiders of the bank at um, Signature Bank uh, is Barney Frank. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you don't know that name, um, he was the the U.S. representative who helped craft the Dodd Frank Act after of the course. financial crisis of 08. So it just goes to show that you know. It, you just it's it's a story that just writes itself right like this, he's the the it was literally written after him it was named after him and he was one of the key violators of this so you know we'll, we'll close this down and, and and end it here but you know thank you all for listening if you have any topics that you want us to address uh we try to keep this time we'll try to do this once a month but if something happens that's more timely uh we'll be more than happy to put something together but uh and anything else to add julian before we close out no, that's about it. I, I think it's important to know volatility is our friend. You know, the, these are great opportunities uh, and, and you look long term and you just continue to be disciplined and have a defined investment strategy uh, and continue to to block out the noise. Right. Like we said at the podcast. So uh, thank you all for joining us. Uh, and, and it's been great. Liberty One Wealth Advisors is a registered investment advisory firm located in the state of Pennsylvania. Any options expressed are derived from sources generally believed to be reliable and are provided for informational purposes only. It does not constitute any form of advice or recommendation to buy or sell any securities, adopt any investment strategy discussed, or invest in any specific product. Nothing contained in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice, and is not to be relied on in making an investment or other decisions.